All right. We're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. Bringing you real life as science fiction. That's right. The Mars Magazine podcast is back. My name's Adario Strange here with... Vic Song. And this week... Wow. This week. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. I mean, um, well, for, well, later on, we're going to talk about Obama, President Obama, and his, I guess this is kind of like his Hail Mary pass to kind of like let everyone know that he is the sci-fi geek in chief. I mean, he, he did a lot of stuff uh, around uh, science technology this week, and we're going to get into that. But first, we want to talk about the epic fail that is the Samsung Galaxy Note. Which, Kaboom. Yes, which as of now has been officially retired by Samsung. They are no longer going to produce it. First, there was a recall by the company when some of the devices were exploding. Then they went, uh, at least here in the U.S., they teamed up with um, the CPSC and initiated like an official recall. And they began rolling out replacement devices. And then, lo and behold, some of those re- replacement devices began to explode. And some of this was caught on video. You have smoking smartphones. And, you know, I think I saw one video from Korea in, like, a Burger King where, like, one of the workers is, like, put on, like, <laughs> oven mitts to, like, move the device. And so the thing – and so – and then right before Samsung decided to basically just stop production – uh, a lot of the wireless carriers here, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, they put out announcements saying, okay, look, we're done. We're not going to take your replacement phones anymore. I mean, we'll take them, but we'll give you something else. We're not going to give you the Samsung replacement phone. And this is this all happened before Samsung made their official or its official announcement. And so they finally just gave up the ghost and said, okay, we're, we're done. We're not going to produce this anymore. I don't think this is ever – I mean – I could be wrong, but I've never seen anything like this happen where the failure happened and it was so bad the company just backed off and said, okay, product canceled. Yeah, no, I don't think I've seen it either. But what what kills me about it is that they don't seem to really understand why it's happening. That's the scariest part. Like they don't – they like I I, from everything that I read – I think I saw that a lot of it had to do with the battery or that's what they were saying. It was, you know, initially that's what was causing the explosions. But now, even if they know that it's the battery or whatever component it is that's overheating, they still don't know what's wrong with it and they still don't know how to fix it. That, that you know, it really confuses me because Samsung's not populated by a bunch of idiots. They look stupid now, but... They're not idiots, and they can't figure it out. Yeah, and I saw, I heard an isolated incident um, just a couple of days ago where someone said something about their S6 device smoking and catching on fire. I mean, so now there's – I think what's happening now and, – and, you know, we don't know if that report is real or, or accurate. But I think what now we're going to deal with is a cloud of suspicion that will descend upon Samsung with regard to all of its products. I mean, we know about the the washing machines that uh, exploded. You know about that, right? Yeah. So what's up with Samsung? What kind of black magic technological voodoo hoodoo did they do? Well, yeah, I thought about your trip, your recent trip to South Korea and how you said, you know, that it wasn't really it didn't seem to be that big of a deal in, in South Korea. And so 
as all this stuff was kind of unfolding this past week, I like looked for any kind of like Korean news reports to see like, is this just like a media blackout? Are they like pretending this isn't happening? And the reports are there. There's, there are Korean news reports of, you know, noting the, the Samsung Note 7 as, you know, being defective and being recalled. So now I'm just wondering, I mean, I don't see Samsung suddenly, you know, disappearing or anything in South Korea. They're too much of an institution. But I mean, just in general, internationally, do you think this is going to kind of put some sort of, you know, ever present suspicion, cloud of suspicion on the brand? I don't think it'll be ever present. Um, certainly, it will be there for a while in the sense that, you know, whatever they come out with next, everyone's going to be looking to see whether it explodes. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just that, you know, that's, that's, they're going to be their thing. Uh, but, oh, you know. Man. Oh, wait, wait. And then, and then, and then Oculus pushed out an, a software update to disable the ability to be able to use the Note 7 with the, uh, Samsung Gear VR because, you know, you don't want it to explode and blind you for life. I mean, this is yeah. insane. This is it insane. Is, you know, and actually, you know, we were recording the pod, uh, back then before I had left Japan. When I was in Narita airport, you know, checking in my bags, I noticed that there was a sign in multiple languages, Japanese, English, and Korean, because um, just because those are the most common languages, I guess, that they get at Narita Airport. Um, and it was like, we are very sorry, but you, if you have a Note 7, you cannot put it into your checked luggage. Yeah, and, so. and, and, yeah, and so, so this is like an international incident. This is like a big deal. A hilarious thing that also cropped up, but... Maybe the most responsible thing that Samsung has done is they're sending out return boxes for people with the Note 7 to return the device to them. And it's like this like Fort Knox, you know, <laughs> fireproof box. They include gloves. I don't know what the gloves are supposed to be for, but they're like gloves included. I mean, this is ridiculous. I've never if this happened to Apple with all the Apple haters and people waiting for Apple to fail. If this happened to Apple, people would be predicting like just catastrophe, doom. You know what really confuses me though is that anytime you have a product um, and you're going to launch the product to be your flagship, I imagine it goes through a crazy amount of product testing. So if it's happening on if this many phones are exploding and it's happening this often, you don't think that they would have come across this in, in like the labs at any well, point? Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know. It's we're all like a lot of tech journalists have written about this situation. And I think there's just a lot of, you know, speculation because Samsung is being very opaque and, you know, quiet about this. They're not really, there was even like one story that kind of where the guy who had the, exploding phone said he accidentally got a text from someone at Samsung and that Samsung person thought they were sending a text to another Samsung person. And apparently the text said something along the lines of, Oh, well, can we keep this guy quiet? And, or if we can't keep him quiet, well, let, let, maybe let's just sit back and see if he does anything. And I mean, it's just, they look horrible right now. I think the, the, for me, the big takeaway is this, like whatever testing they've done, or they say they've done, it doesn't matter because they told the public, oh, we see we have a problem with the Note 7, so we're pushing out replacement devices. And those replacement devices had the same problem. So now how do I trust anything? How do I trust that you're you're doing, you know, everything you can to keep us safe uh, with regard to these, like, giant, 
you know, batteries in our pocket. So I've never been a Samsung user. You know, I'm not particularly fond of Android. I think it's cool, but I'm not an Android guy. Um, I have been swayed in recent years. And I have to say, with the reviews of the Note 7, I did consider buying it. I'm done. Like, it, it, look, <laughs> if I do pick up an Android device, it'll be like the Pixel or something from HTC or something like that. You know, that was that's a really good point because Samsung is the biggest Android phone maker, or at least it's it's the Android's version of Apple, I guess. And with them kind of essentially crippled out of there, who do you who do you see taking over for them in that space? There's just like a huge vacuum. And I don't I, well, I think that's Google. I think that's what the whole yeah. Google like I mean, you know, Google couldn't have planned this. But well, conspiracy theory, Jones, they like let's put our hat on. Maybe they did somehow have some hand in this. No, of course not. But I mean, the timing is impeccable because they just came out with their own uh, Android phone, the Pixel, and it's a dead ringer for the iPhone. And um, it's around, I think the lowest end model is like $630. So, you know, it doesn't look great. I'm not excited by it, but there's your option. Well, some people at Google are having a real great case of schadenfreude right now and enjoying themselves real well. Well, speaking of testing products that needed to be recalled, uh, you saw something with regard to Soylent. Ah, yes, Soylent. So about, I want to say about a month ago, Soylent announced that they were coming out with some new products. Well, well, let's explain. Why don't you explain what Soylent is first? All right, so Soylent, green is people. No. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you said it. I wanted to say that. Okay, you got it. Yeah. You know, first of all, I find it really strange that you would ever want to name your product Soylent because of that reference. Right. But that that aside, what Soylent is, is it's basically this strange meal replacement liquid thing. If you can imagine Ensure that tastes slightly chalkier, uh, that's basically what Soylent is. It's a drink that um, 400 calories. It's supposed to replace all of your nutrition and meals so you don't actually have to eat. And it's gotten decently popular in Silicon Valley among, you know, certain tech cult cultures where you can just enhance your productivity by never having to eat. And um, I was introduced to it because I had certain friends who were in the startup and tech industry, and they would say things like, Food is a burden. Cooking is a burden. <laughs> Food is you a know. burden. Okay. Yeah. No. I feel I'm on, I'm on that wavelength with you. Um. But all what what initially uh, prompted me to try the drink was because it's so cheap. I forget the exact cost, but you could spend, you could just basically spend maybe two hundred dollars a month, and that's your food. Oh, it's made of people, so it has to be. No, it's just saying. No, I mean, okay. So so Soylent, that's what Soylent is, yeah. and then they decided to create a bar. Right. So uh, about a month ago, they came out with some new products, like a coffee version of Soylent that you could have with your breakfast and have your caffeine in it, whatever. And then they came out with this bar. This bar is about like, it's like 250 calories and whatnot. And it's supposed to not be a meal replacement bar, but you know, like those, those power bars that people munch on after they go to the gym, that kind of thing. So those have been making people barf and poop in like uncontrollable fashion and basically people who are soylent enthusiasts and they exist they have a subreddit they were going on this are these like a lot of developers like coders like is that mainly okay yes lots of those types of people basically you know 
the people that you imagine living in the show Silicon Valley. Right. Like, um, those people are super into Soylent. A lot of my friends are into Soylent. So they so were all why. happy, self, you know, just self-satisfied and pleased with themselves drinking their Soylent coffee and their Soylent drink. And then the bar comes along and... I mean, and, was there a high-profile incident, or was it just kind of like isolated reports that started cropping it's not, up? It's not necessarily isolated, but these people who are Soylent enthusiasts on Reddit were getting together and being like, hey, so I don't know if you've had this problem, but every single time I've had the Soylent bar, I've had violent barfing or diarrhea. Whoa. Is that a problem for you guys? And basically, these people were like, yeah, this is a this is a huge problem. I haven't had the diarrhea, but I'm definitely barfing. And they identified certain batch numbers were causing people to have intense gastrointestinal uh, dismay. And, you know, Soylent came out and they're like, it it could cause, you know, this is an advanced nutritional product. Uh, Whatever. It could be causing, like, uh, irritation in a small number of people. And, you know, companies always say that. It, it was very rapid because on Friday this kind of report came out and then now it's uh, – and I'm talking last Friday and a week later, Soylent has basically recalled all of them and said that if you have Soylent bars, please discard them. Yeah, put it in a, in a, in a barf-proof box and send it back to us. So oh wait. OK. So now are they – is this product canceled? Are they – do we know if they're going to like reintroduce it like Samsung and like um, tell us that it's OK? You know. I don't believe re- I don't believe they've said what they're going to do about that particular this is awesome. thing. This is amazing because it's like, you know, this is food. Like, you know, in the tech world, this isn't usually kind of like the product we, we talk about. So this is kind of like you can't push out a firmware update for food. You know, so this is like this is fascinating to watch this all unfold. I know the whole space of uh, nootropics, you know, mm-hmm. food and drink that's supposed to kind of help you like be cognitively more, you know, on point and, you know, just able to program quicker and more efficiently and that kind of thing. That's kind of like a big trend. And I feel like they were kind of like when I heard them announce the coffee, I thought, ooh, okay, so they're about to move in. I I don't know what the coffee's made of, but it, it sounded like an easy move to like go from, you know, the Soylent, you know, just the whatever the nutrition drink to kind of like a nootropic drink in the coffee. Um, but I don't know now. I mean, I, I was this close to trying uh soy myself. Fine. The drinks are fine. Like I've had the drinks multiple times and been okay. Uh, it's just mainly the problem has been with the bars and actually, you know, they released a statement and what they said in the statement was that they were halting purchases and shipments and advising customers who had any bars to basically throw them out, which means, I haven't bought them, but when I was at New York Comic Con, they were giving out Soylent bars as swag. So Oof. I have one in my Oof. bag. I am not eating it based on all of this stuff. But, and, but have they identified the ingredient that's the problem? No, they haven't. And See, that's a so problem. basically, what they're saying is that they're investigating into the matter and that they are doing this. They're telling people not to buy them and to discard the ones that they have and that they're halting all shipments as a preventive measure. So if you knew that there was a food product that could potentially make you barf or have violent diarrhea, would you eat it? No. no. I have this bar in my bag. I'm never going to eat it, even if it was given to me for free. Well, next up, we want to touch on the new trailer for Star Wars Rogue One. 
Uh, that just dropped, and we got a well. Like, well, why don't you? You're the Star Wars person. I'll let you lay it out. This is the second trailer for Rogue One that's been dropped, like full trailer. I'm not counting the teaser that came out a while ago, uh, months and months ago. So this one, what's interesting about this one is I think we're getting a little more hints as to what the actual relationship between the characters are, and most notable, most notably. We get a look at Mad Mickelson's character, uh, Galen Urso, who is the father of Felicity Jones's character, Jin Urso. And he, in, I, like, they're releasing these prequel books for Star Wars now, and in a prequel book, it's been revealed that he has a relationship with, uh, Kent Krennic, who plays, uh, not who plays, but who is the villain of the, of the film. This is getting and, way too, ner- like, Star Wars nerdy for me, but go ahead. Sorry. So basically, um, what we know is that the Mad Mickelson's character seems to be someone who has engineered something for the Death Star. I believe uh, online they're saying that he's the guy who built the laser, you know, the planet Alderaan destroying, smashing laser that they have. And he has been taken and the Rebellion is trying to uh, basically save him in a certain sense. We see that Felicity Jones has been uh, kidnapped not kidnapped, but she gets broken out of jail. We get a look at the planet of Jedha, which Gareth Edwards, who's directing the film, has said is kind of like a mecca for Force-sensitive people and a source of kyber crystals. Do you know what kyber crystals are, Adario? No, I'm... Wait, first of all, first of all I'm fascinated. There's a mecca planet for Jedi? Apparently. Like, the, I, I didn't know that, but that's what he's kind of described this planet as. Okay, that's fascinating. So, no, what's this other thing? So, a kyber crystal is the crystal that's inside of a lightsaber that enables it to be all shiny and shroomy oh. and, and all that plasma stuff. Okay. And... Um, so in the lore of Star Wars, a kyber crystal bonds with its user and it's an incredibly powerful resource and as it's very rare and not often occurring. So there is like rumors online that part of what makes Rogue One interesting is that the Empire has taken this planet as a means of controlling resources. Actually, um, at New York Comic Con, there was a panel called uh, Star Wars The Science Awakens, and they kind of got into the the science elements of Star Wars because if you compare Star Wars and Star Trek, Star Trek is the one that gets all the science cred while Star Wars gets all the, well, you know, the fantasy aspect of it. Um, well, I mean, you just you just named a magical crystal that bonds with the user. I mean, yeah, come on. I mean, it's That's fair. <laughs> Dialithium crystals that power starships don't bond with the captain. I mean, you know, come on. But one of the things that they brought up at this panel was that Star Wars is a universe where fuel is like they don't ever have any fuel problems given the number of ships that are available, uh, how far they go into hyperspace. They don't really ever answer that. So it's kind of interesting that the that, you know, we'll see if this kyber crystal theory plays out. But if that's if they're adding like resource management as to a motive for the Empire, I think that's a nice kind of step in world building towards a more sci-fi feel instead of some of the mysticism stuff. And in general, Rogue One seems to be a movie that's stepping a little bit away from what some people say is a a weak point of the Star Star Wars trilogy in terms of sci-fi because it's a lot grittier. It's not so much into the, like, close your eyes and feel the Force 
everything will work out fine. Mm, yeah. There's a lot less of that. So I'm, I'm excited in to see a different side of that. Look, I like Star Wars. I'm mainly, you know, a fan of the first three originals, not so much of all the, the sequels and prequels, so-called prequels. Um, this, I have to say, if this, again, I think I said this before, if this had been the fourth Star Wars film, and I haven't seen this film yet, all I've seen is, like, the trailer, if this had been the fourth Star Wars film, I might be, like, you know, dressing up as a Wookiee or whatever. I mean, like, I might be more in, because this, to me, you know, just, there was a grit to the 70s version that I appreciated. It was like a mix, like a space opera, but it, there was some grit and things look old, looked old and weathered. And then when those kind of the next three films came, I think that, you know, just the the pure volume of those films and the time span that it covered, I think, worked to dilute the franchise in general. And then when you had this this new one, um, The Force Awakens, it was just clean enough just pretty enough, just like the original enough that it, I, I don't think it helped the dilution that had already occurred. So with the, with Rogue One though, I feel like, wait a minute, this feels like we're back in the seventies, but this is like an authentic next, you know, kind of next step telling. I, I'm, I'm so excited about this. Um, but look, I think we're talking around the uh, the the black shiny elephant in the room. Uh, we had, you know, we finally get to see the appearance of the Lord. Well, he showed up at the last, at uh, the very end of the last trailer that was uh, uh, released, but we get to see a little bit more of him this time facing off with Krennic. And I don't know about you, Lord but Vader is who I'm speaking yeah, to. Yeah, Lord yes. Vader, Darth, Darth, our, our good buddy, Anakin Skywalker. Uh, as Darth Vader, but if you ever see him coming at you with fog in the, in, you know, I would say it's a good, good idea to maybe run. Well, he had pep in his step, which is, that's the thing that stood out for me. I, Cause I was just thinking, you know, in this whole, in the story, in the universe of this whole thing, there had to have been a time when, you know, Darth Vader isn't, you know, just out of teenager hood if that's the correct term, you know, and he's not old, there has to be a vibrant time when he's maybe, you know, in his early thirties and he can still, you know, run up whatever, you know, just like, you know, I mean, and it, it felt like maybe this is the young, but like, you know, mature, young, full man, Darth Vader. Cause I've never seen that much pep in the step of Darth Vader. Yeah. Well, this, I believe Rogue One, don't quote me on this number, but I believe Rogue One is happening eight years before the first movie, something like that. So in the timeline of things, he would maybe be late 30s, possibly early 40s. Still enough to have pretty good pep in his step, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So And so you're excited. You like what you saw. You think this I, is a good sign? I think it's a good sign. I had one moment where I was kind of like, oh, no, there, there might be some cheese in here. Well, what was that? Um, it's the scene where Jyn Erso is trying to give her stalker Pentecost. We're canceling the apocalypse level speech, except she's like, we're, we're the rebels. We have hope. I was like, ah, oh, crap. Like anytime <laughs> you, you bring out like hope in a, in, a, in a speech like that as the thing that you have, I'm like, okay. Oh. So that's that's some cornball. Well, as someone who I mean, as someone who has delved into, I guess, the, the novels and the comics and some of the animation, 
I'm wondering if you can answer one question for me. There seemed to be a plot or I don't know if a plot or a logic hole that I saw in the trailer. Uh, the guy, you know, in that first trailer we saw, there's like a blind guy and he says, all is as the force wills it. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Love that part. That's awesome. But then I found out that he's not a Jedi and he's not like this force powered guy. So then I see this new trailer and he's behind some barrier shooting at people. Did you see that? Well, like, she- like wait, wait, wait. I mean, so let me just say, like, if you have the force working with you, I get how you could be blind and shoot people. If you have no force, and I get how you could be blind with no force and practice martial arts and, you know, be kick ass and take out stormtroopers. If you're blind and you have no force, how are you shooting people many, many feet away accurately? Well, just because you're not a Jedi does not mean you do not have force powers. You can be force sensitive and not a Jedi. I'm just going to drop in while you're talking. I'm going to drop in the the cheesy uh, Star Wars movie as a music bed. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, um, so Princess Leia, General Leia, whatever you want to call her, she has the Force, but she is not a Jedi. So that's that's basically the answer to that. It's some. It's some. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you say Princess Leia has the Force, but is not a Jedi? Yes. Yes. So she has the Metachlorians. Yeah, so yes. you're not getting away from that. <laughs> she has the Metachlorians, but wait a minute. We don't know that this this martial arts dude has Metachlorians. I mean. We don't know, but you know, um, it's it's hinted that he may be force sensitive. So there's a lot of characters. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is that like a trigger word? A trigger word like force sensitive? Like what? How, what is that? What's force sensitive? <laughs> force I mean, sensitive. What? Force sensitive means that you have an affinity for the force. That okay. uh, force blind people like Han Solo <laughs> has no. He has no aptitude with the force, so he's called force blind. So if you're force sensitive, like um, in the Force Awakens, uh, it's hinted that Maz Kanata, who's like the small orange lady on Takodana in the bar, mm. it's hinted that. She By the has- way, you, we never mentioned Takodano Baba. That's where they got that from. They right? have to, yeah. They yeah, have that, to have been for from. those listening, that's a very well known. Um, train station and i believe area in tokyo i've been to takadano baba and they totally i mean it's kind of star wars does that a lot they take japanese words and names and embed it obi-wan kenobi come on yeah but takadano baba is a real place in japan anyway yeah go ahead so um the the barkeep in takadana she's she's basically hinted at being force sensitive a little bit i think a lot of fans have basically thought that she is and interestingly uh daisy ridley who plays ray when asked if she's a jedi she's like well you know she uses the force but i don't know if you would call ray a jedi just wait a minute wait a minute she she had a battle with a jedi oh but but here's the thing jj abrams says that kylo ren is not sith they're oh, like boy. going off into weird territory. Okay, here. wait a minute. He's not Sith. Nope. They say, but he that has the he Force, is... though, right? Yeah, but basically, the Jedi and the Sith are orders of Force users. Just because you have the Force, that does not make you a Jedi or a Sith. So wait, are you saying that? Okay, he was not a Jedi or a Sith, but he had the Force within him. But she might just be Force sensitive. And because he's not a fully trained Sith, that's why someone who's just force sensitive can. I feel like an idiot saying all this. I mean, come on. I mean, like, (laughs) how does someone who's not a. How does someone without the force beat someone with the force? That makes no sense. Well, you have differing levels. Like, not 
there are many X-Men who have telekinesis, but not all of them are Jean Grey. Wait, are you actually um, pulling Marvel into this? Come on. Don't, don't pull anyway. Marvel into this. Okay, I think <laughs> okay, right now is like when we'll this. end that the music bed, maybe? No. <laughs> like, okay, it's like this. Um, uh, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. Wow. That kind of thing. My mind's just blown. Not Okay, all right. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll leave it be. I, I enjoyed the trailer. That last bit of Darth Vader, I have to say, it didn't feel like it belonged in the rest of the film. It felt like it was taken from another film. I don't know if it's just because we recognize his character and everyone else is new, but it, it just, even the look of it, it just didn't look in sync with everything else. Did you did you catch that? or? Um, I did, and I think a part of that is that in the last trailer, when they do the Darth reveal, it's just like, Dun, 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 dun. Oh my god, this is awesome! And here it's kind of just thrown into it. It's not like a momentous thing that we've built towards. It's just like, right. and pff, here's Vader. You right. know and when's I mean? this coming out? December 16th. Okay, so that'll be after the election. So we'll oh. be in a different country at that oh. point. So- Maybe we'll... Maybe we'll have to be forming small chapters of our own rebellion, depending on who wins this election. So moving on, we want to talk about President Barack Obama. And, but we're not going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about science and technology and science fiction. So recently he did two big things, and it's very clear he only has a few months left in office. And it's becoming very clear that he wants his legacy. He wants to be known as the science and technology slash sci-fi geek-in-chief as he leaves. He did two things. He wrote an op-ed for CNN that was all about space. And then right after that, uh, an an episode or an episode, an issue of Wired came out where he was the guest editor. And it was like a huge issue where he, you know, was guest editor, but he also sat for a bunch of interviews. And he actually... um, Talk to MIT Media Lab uh, head Joy Ito, someone I know um, from my time in Japan. Um, I've talked to him. I've actually interviewed Joy Ito. Very, very smart. If you don't know who, jo- who Joy Ito is, Joy is spelled J-O-I, Ito, I-T-O. If you don't know who he is, find out. He has been around for a long time at the edge of innovation. Just super smart guy from Japan. and But he's also lived for a ton of time in the States. And he's over at MIT. So he spoke to Obama, and Obama touched on a ton of topics. But first, let's get to, I guess, his op-ed. He wrote an op-ed basically talking about space. And I'll just read kind of two relevant quotes from that article. He says, this is, uh, again, President Barack Obama's op-ed. He says, we have set a clear goal vital to the next chapter of America's story in space sending humans to Mars by the 2030s and returning them safely to Earth with the ultimate ambition to one day remain there for an extended time. Getting to Mars will require continued cooperation between government and private innovators, and we're already well on our way. Within the next two years, private companies will, for the first time, send astronauts to the International Space Station. The next step is to reach beyond the bounds of Earth's orbit. I'm excited to announce that we're working with our commercial partners to build new habitats that can sustain and transport astronauts on long-duration missions in deep space. These missions will teach us how humans can live far from Earth, something we'll need for the long journey to Mars. That, I mean, come on. That's What a nerd. <laughs> I mean, like, this is like n- not two weeks ago, you know, here we were uh, talking about 
Elon Musk and, you know, his ambitions to get to Mars and whether or not that was realistic or not. And here we have the president of the United States who has all the access to kind of like what's going on behind the scenes. You know, he has, you know, the access to the political lovers to make this happen. And he doesn't he's not talking about the moon. He's not talking about, you know, he's not really focused on the International Space Station. He, too, just like Elon Musk, is talking about Mars. So, I mean, how can we can we still call Elon Musk unrealistic if the president of the United States is talking about this, too, now? Well, I'm going to reference your great interview with astrophysicist Laura Forzik. Um, and do you remember when you asked her that question about why not the moon? Right. Right. So in, you know, I, I believe I'm just going to paraphrase her answer. And if you haven't, if you guys out there haven't listened to that episode, you totally should. What I believe she said was that, you know, it's kind of some politics in there where certain people want the moon more than they want Mars and other people are way more invested in Mars. Right. So as Obama is shaping his legacy and how, you know, when he leaves office, how we'll think of him. I think that there's a pretty good chance he's, you know, in the Mars camp and he just wants to, like, put it out there that we should be aiming for Mars and not wasting our time, you know, or, like, wasting our time and resources on maybe chump change like the moon. Maybe that's cynical of me, but I think it's quite possible that less so Elon Musk fanboying on Obama's part, but more him just trying to make sure that we don't lose whatever progress we've made towards a Mars mission by getting derailed and politicking and re-diverting resources to the moon in that sense. Yeah, and it was it was kind of cool to hear him bring up Mars because, well, first of all, the time frame. Elon Musk seems to think that we'll be able to do this within the next 10 years. However, uh, Obama is more in line with the timeline proposed by NASA, which is sometime in the 2030s. So that made what he was saying sound more realistic because it basically, you know, that's what Mm -hmm. NASA said. But what was also interesting is how he kept bringing up the whole commercial space company thing. He didn't mention SpaceX. He didn't mention, at least I don't remember him mentioning SpaceX or Elon Musk. I don't think he did. But I mean, look, you have SpaceX, Blue Origin, and then after that, you know, I know that there are others out there. I can't think of them. So, I mean, when you mention commercial space companies, I mean, you know, the first thing you're thinking of is SpaceX. So it's it's pretty interesting that he just kind of like kept tossing that in there. This idea of putting people on Mars and making that a long term project, it's officially time to stop, you know, making fun or chuckling or wondering if Elon Musk is a little bit off. It, the president of the United States just went there. I mean, he yes, he, he loves Star Trek. Yes, he's a bit of a geek, but he's also, you know, working here on Earth doing a lot of things that um that require hardcore logistics and require serious thinking. So when he begins to, you know, talk about Mars and putting people on Mars and making that a long term priority, we have to kind of begin to rethink just how seriously we need to take Elon Musk and his very aggressive push toward Mars. So after that, as I said, Wired came out and he was a guest editor for Wired and he touched on a few topics. Um, I would say the, the two big things that kind of stuck out for me was artificial intelligence, his thoughts on artificial intelligence and how he kind of did what we do here, which is married science fiction to real science and technology. So with artificial intelligence, I'll just drop this on you. Here's one of his quotes. He says, 
uh, there are there could be an algorithm that said, quote, and this is Obama speaking uh, in Wired. There could be an ar- algorithm that said, for instance, go penetrate nuclear codes and figure out how to launch some missiles. And he says, if that's its only job, if it's self-teaching and if it's really a, an effective algorithm, then you've got problems. So he's already thinking about this kind of Skynet scenario. He <laughs> didn't he didn't name drop Skynet. He didn't name drop uh, the Terminator. But I mean, that's essentially what he's talking about. To your point, it's it's super telling that he even starts off the Wired interview with, um, I, I believe there's a phrase where he says, the way we think about AI is colored by popular culture. And, you know, as you said, him trying to kind of shape his legacy and tell us that he's the geek in chief, the nerd in chief, the science, the science president. You know, the White House came out with a report on AI, and I think that's his way of communicating to the public just how important it is and how it's something that's going to be shaping our lives in the future and how it's something that we need to think about in terms of how we want to build ourselves as a society in cooperation with AI and how that'll change how we get jobs, how that'll change how we think of our economy and all of that. So it was it was kind of cool to see that the White House put out a 48-page paper about what the state of AI is, where it's going in the future, how government can do things to help it, and what are the problems that we need to think about as a society. Like that's incredibly forward-thinking and and future-focused for a president to even think about hypotheticals in a very science fiction-y type way. Yeah, and unfortunately it's happening uh at the end of his presidency. But, um, yeah, he did touch on, I think, one of my favorite topics regarding artificial intelligence, which is human jobs. I mean, he talked about this whole idea of what will we do as more and more uh, software algorithms and agents begin to displace people, not only in white collar jobs, but also blue collar jobs. And so he talked about that as kind of one of our central challenges uh, moving forward. And so I'm, I'm glad he's focused on that. However, he's leaving. So I don't, I don't know, like, you know, how much he can impact artificial intelligence policy. One thing I am thinking is in much the same way Al Gore kind of had a post vice president career as this environmental expert and advocate. Maybe this is what's happened. Maybe Obama's setting himself up as kind of like this post president's uh, for his post-presidency as kind of like the AI slash science and technology leader in some sense. On that note, we'll get into science fiction. Yeah, I mean, he named, I'll, he name dropped, um, just off the top of my head, he, four different franchises. He name dropped Minority Report, The Matrix, Star Trek, and The Martian. And his very funny anecdote is he talks about when he first got into the White House. You know, we all envision this idea of if we became president, We'd enter, you know, the chamber, the secret chamber, and then, you know, the generals and the intelligence agencies would huddle around and they'd say, okay, here's the really futuristic stuff we have going on that the public doesn't know about. Here's the levitating this and the holographic that. And this is what Obama says. He says, when he first got in, quote, when I first got here, I always imagined the situation room would be this super, super cool thing like Tom Cruise in Minority Report where he'd be moving around stuff. But it's not like that at all. 
And so, so apparently, as you know, just as with any government office, the post office, you know, downtown, whatever, you know, they're operating, you know, on old machines. Everything's pretty much, you know, government employee uh, standard issue. And um, at least according to him, maybe he's not allowed. Maybe it's classified. He's not allowed to tell us that we already have levitating cars and, you know, <laughs> lightsabers that are ready to be deployed, you know, at a moment's notice. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of cool for him to kind of at least, I you know, I hope give us like a real insight into, you know, the true state of what it is to be a president engaging technology once you get into the White House. You know, what was interesting was that he brings a very human side to when we talk about the the future in tech. I think sometimes uh, people who are in the industry or who are really fascinated by it think very in terms of optimism and just everything's going to be kind of utopian and perfect. And one of the things that they talked about that I really liked was just trying to kind of figure out, well, what's the human angle of it? What's the, you know, how do we build build a space for mistakes in AI? Just to go back to your earlier point, you can just really see how much science fiction and him watching Star Trek, him watching The Matrix, him watching Minority Report, and um, I, the other one was The Martian. Um, just him watching those things and extrapolating what our technology, where it's at now, how it can be in the future. Like he brings up, uh, I, I believe he brought up uh, AlphaGo, and he was just talking about how well now that we have AI that can play a really complicated game like Go, it's not too far off until we can have a algorithm that'll maximize like profits on the stock market exchange. And what do you do about that? What are the ethical conundrums of that? So I thought that was pretty cool. Just to go back to the whole thing of him being surprised that, you know, once you get to be president, you don't see all these magical things. He also said, uh, quote, 50 years later, and it seems like we should, I don't know, if dilithium crystals are out there, but you know, we should be getting something, you know, some breakthroughs. So, <laughs> so it kind of, it's, it's a little bit worrying because it's kind of like, it sounds like he's saying he was a bit disappointed when he got behind the, the curtain, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz curtain and he didn't really see the magical stuff he hoped for, uh, once you become essentially the most powerful person on the planet. But, um, to his, to the Star Trek thing that you mentioned, I mean, he's a huge Trekkie. And he says, um, quote, I was a sucker for Star Trek when I was a kid. And what made the show lasting wasn't that it was about technology, but that it was about values and relationships. And uh, Star Trek, like any good story, says we're all complicated and we've all got a little bit of Spock and a little bit of Kirk and a little bit of Scotty and maybe some Klingon in us. This guy's a Trekkie. <laughs> I mean, what a nerd. It's, it's I, awesome. I mean, <laughs> to me, it's now clear that he is not pretending to be a geek he's not pretending to be a trekkie he sat down with wired to talk about real science and technology policy and ended up calling he's saying hey we all got a little klingon in us right yeah no <laughs> so yeah I mean, I mean this this is the coolest president that we've ever had like, oh for sure for sure like super cool and to your point about him uh just kind of pulling in his geek cred uh, what I, what I think is something that a lot of people don't necessarily know about Obama and his love of science is how passionate he is about the White House Science Fair and how he gets, and how passionate he is about getting young people into science so that they can create these breakthroughs that he's disappointed that we don't have right now. Like, he hosts a con, like, there's a contest where these young kids can 
basically present their science project to the president. And some of the things that these kids create are amazing. And that's something he's been really passionate about, about the last eight years. That's, you know, it doesn't get a lot of press. It doesn't get a lot of um, uh, coverage compared to like some of the other more politicized things that he does. But the White House also did a thing recently where they were promoting kids to get into coding so that the U.S. can get back into STEM fields and just promoting all of that. And he, if you listen to him talk about those issues and about education, he is so big on getting us back into science. So... I mean, it's been a low-key thing in terms of coverage, but he's been consistent about that. Eight Did years you long. see the uh, Frontiers thing that they had at the White House? I didn't get a chance to see that. So yeah, it was basically kind of like, um, like a I guess a mini tech science conference where they had a bunch of people. They just had like you know people from Google and various scientists. Um, none none of the names were like kind of like the big ones, the bullface names that you know that you know kind of Elon Musk or you know. Sir, Sergey Brin or anything like that. But I mean, they were pretty high level people. And um, that happened, um, I think, just like one day after the Wired uh, article came out. But to bring that article up, one one last quote. I want to just this is I love this quote because this made me know for a fact that Obama is thinking about the singularity. We don't hear the singularity mentioned often, but not only did he mention it by name in the article during the interview, but he says this. This is him just kind of laying out a scenario. Quote, computers start getting smarter than we are and eventually conclude that we're all not all that useful. And then either we're they're drugging us to keep us fat and happy or we're in the matrix. My impression, based on talking to my top science advisors, is that we're still a reasonably long way away from that. So two things. A, thank God. <laughs> I mean, if we're, we're going to believe Obama, you know, and his science advisors, who I assume are the top, you know, top level, you know, top tier uh, people in the field, uh, the singularity is not near as um, Kurzweil would have us believe. But um, he's thinking about this and people around the White House are thinking about the singularity. They're thinking about this whole, you know, Skynet and and will computers somehow become self-aware and do we you know, are we moving slowly into a world where the matrix is a possibility? Not necessarily the the part where the robots enslave humanity uh, to make them batteries or whatever, but the part where we're just kind of in these pods and we're asleep in VR, maybe in virtual reality, watching Twitch as people you know engage <laughs> each other in like these uh, VR telenovelas. Yeah, or holocrons, just to bring it back to Star Wars, but. You can you can you can hit me for that later. Holocron? <laughs> Wait, what what's a holocron? It's like a it's like a holo video. There's like there's these little cubes and there's things that they watch on it and yeah. So you just had to bring up Star You know, I would just I want to note for the record <laughs> that Obama did not mention Star Wars once. Let's just put that for the record. Um he mentioned Star Trek. So the president, the leader of the free world, the most powerful person on the planet and possibly the coolest president in the history of the United States, a Trekkie. Just just putting that out there. Uh, okay, I'll let, I'll let you have that one. <laughs> I'll let you have that one since we had such a long Star Wars talk uh, uh, in this episode. But, you know, uh, I just really want to say, like, if you go and you guys out there should all go and read this uh, interview because I think – what I really, really want to emphasize is how amazing Obama is at extrapolating scenarios that, 
you know, involve technology to the point where I would read a science fiction book that he writes. I think he could write an amazing science fiction political oh, Wow. Wow. I hadn't even considered that. Yeah. Obama science fiction. Hmm. Like he, he went from AlphaGo and he made the connection to an algorithm that could, you know, potentially abuse uh, the stock market exchange. And then he also brought up stuff about political inequality that could be caused by technology. How do we solve these? And he's obviously thinking about cultural differences between how the U.S. interacts with technology, how Russia thinks about technology. This is a dude who, if he sat down, and we know he's a good writer, he's written two books, like, if he sat down and tried his hand at fiction, and particularly science fiction, or like a science fiction political thriller drama thing, I would read the shit out of that. Like, come on. It would be so cool. That's that's fascinating. I hadn't thought of that. Yes, I would I would read that too. I'm very interested in that. I'm just gonna go ahead and put, you know, the invitation out there. Uh President Obama, Barack Obama, President Obama, calling Obama. If you are listening to this and you'd like to sit down and talk about science and technology and specifically science fiction. If you just want to talk about science fiction, you have an open invitation. Uh, I know we're just a tiny uh, little podcast in, in the world of podcasts, but um, I know he did uh, an appearance on um, Mark Maron's Mark Maron. podcast. Yeah, and Mark Maron knows, like, as far as I know, because I, I follow Mark Maron, you know, pretty closely. Mark Maron knows very little about science fiction. So why don't you come on home, President Obama? <laughs> come on home. To, to a warm place here uh, where you can talk, where you can be a Trekkie, you can talk about sci-fi, and maybe even um, toss out a couple of ideas about, you know, what you might put in your first science fiction novel. Uh, and with that, we're going to call an end to this episode of the Mars Magazine podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and, of course, iTunes. And you can visit us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Mars Magazine or on the web at marsmagazine.com. This has been Adario Strange with Vixon. And we will see you in the future. <laughs>